The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility and love of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
may we pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. One wrote, people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. As the choir guides us, may we bow in prayer. Hear good news, 
If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. <clears throat> I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 and 13 through 17. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 121 with the Antiphon. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? <clears throat> my help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. The Lord who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, the one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil and will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. Hear the gospel. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Our Lenten sermon series beginning today will engage in conversation with St. Teresa of Avila. From 2007 to 2016, Lent by Lent, we identified a theological conversation partner for the Lenten sermons, broadly speaking, out of the Calvinist tradition. In this decade, we turn to the Catholic tradition. With Calvin, we encountered the chief resource for others we engaged over 10 years, voices like those of Jonathan Edwards, Paul of Tarsus, Marilyn Robinson, Jacques Ellul, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran cousin, Karl Barth, Gabriel Bahanian, and themes like atonement and decision. In this decade, beginning with Lent 2017, the Marsh Pulpit, a traditionally Methodist one, turns left, not right, toward Rome, not Geneva, and we will preach with and learn from the Roman Catholic tradition, so important in the last 200 years in New England. And some of its great divines, including Henry Nouwen, Thomas Merton, John of the Cross, Ignatius of Loyola, Erasmus, Hans Kung, Karl Rahner, and others, one per year. Perhaps you will suggest a name or two, not from Geneva, but from Rome. For those who recall, even if dimly, the vigor and excitement of Vatican II, there may well be other names to add to the list. We began with Henry Nouwen in 2017, continued with Thomas Merton in 2018, turning last year, 2019, to St. John of the Cross. And now Lent 2020, we listen in prayer for grace in the life, voice, heart, poetry, and spirit of Santa Teresa of Avila. Thomas Merton sets the beat and the course of travel for Lent year by year. Lent is for people who know, he wrote, what it means for their soul to be logged with these icy waters. All of us are such people, if only we can realize it. There is confidence everywhere in Lent, yet that does not mean unmixed and untroubled security. The confidence of the Christian is always a confidence despite darkness and risk, in the presence of peril, with every evidence of possible disaster. Once again, Lent is not just a time for squaring conscious accounts, but for realizing what we had perhaps not seen before. The light of Lent is given us to help us with this realization. Nevertheless, the liturgy of Lent is not focused on the sinfulness of the penitent, but on the mercy of God. The question of sinfulness is raised precisely because this is a day of mercy. Scripture and tradition depend on reason and experience. Spirit involves reason and experience. A question for you day by day as mortality approaches is whether you can find the courage to trust your own experience and whether you can find the capacity to rely on your own reason. Opportunities to subcontract both are amply available. But in order to live a life that is yours, not almost yours, spirit is needed. John had the courage to face the awful disappointment behind the New Testament. Jesus did not return, not on schedule, not as expected, not soon and very soon, not Maranatha, not yet. 
John looked at his own experience and in biblical measure with traditional tools, reason. And in place of apocalypse, he celebrated the artistry of the everyday. And in place of the speculation about the end, he celebrated the spirit of truth. And in place of parousia, the coming of the Lord, he nominated paraclete, the presence of the Lord. And he sang, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. One way to solve problems is to face them, to name them, to admit them. No parousia. Yes, paraclete, spirit. The stark strangeness, the utter difference of John from the rest of the Bible, we have yet fully to admit. My beloved advisor, perhaps the greatest John scholar of our era, Father Raymond Brown, got only so far as saying that John is best understood as an embraceable variant, emphasis on embraceable for him, less emphasis on variant for him. But when we get to John 3, we see chiseled there in ice and covered fully with wind and snow, an enigmatic, mysterious riddle, spirit, sweet spirit, paraclete. Spirit, the endless enemy of conformity, the lasting foe of the nearly lived life, the champion of the quixotic, the standard bearer of liberty, the one true spirit of spirited truth. Yet we cannot even give the history of the term, paraclete, nor fully define its meaning, nor aptly place it in its context, nor finally determine its translation. Paraclete, spirit, eludes us, evades us, outpaces us, escapes us. Notice that in John, starting with Nicodemus this morning, the spirit is given to all, not just to a few or to the twelve, definitely not. Notice that it is spirit, not structure, on which John relies. Notice his spirit, not memory, which we shall trust, good news for those whose memory may slip a little here and there. Notice that spirit stands over against what John calls the world, another dark mystery in meaning. Notice that the community around John's Jesus is amply conveyed a powerful trust in spirit. Other parts of the New Testament take another trail. The book of Acts offers confidence by way of hagiographical memories of Peter and Paul and of false but loving assertions of the utter agreement of Peter and Paul. Trust your memory, and when you cannot, create a new memory. The pastoral epistles, and to some degree, 1 John, in opposition to his gospel namesake, rely not on memory or memories and not on spirit, but on structure. Presbyters, faith once delivered to the saints, deacons, codes of conduct, stylized memories of orderly transmission of tradition. Diversity preceded unity, though, in earliest Christianity. We need memory, we need structure, but neither can ever hold a candle to spirit. That is, for John, what Moses, the law, the historical Jesus, the sacraments, or anything else can ever offer fully, spirit offers today and provides. By spirit, we hear the word of God. God reveals by spirit. God self-reveals by spirit. And here the stakes are very high. 
Again, Raymond Brown. This is the ultimate self-revelation of how the word of God gets translated as God. To a community living in time and space, the spirit of Jesus is proving the world wrong. People who live by the spirit is the only way others will be convinced of the victory of Jesus. The world does not lack for wonders, but only for a sense of wonder, Chesterton. Your, your life does not lack for mystery, but only for a sense of mystery. Your week does not lack for worth, but only for an hour of worship, said Emerson. I love the silent church before any speaking. Pause for a moment in prayer. When you come to worship, you place yourself in prayerful sight of beauty. When you come to worship, you stand and sit in the company of real courage, heroines and heroes of old. When you come to worship, you at last find a way, language, imagery, symbol, all, to express an ultimate concern for ultimate reality. When you come to worship, you see the whole horizon, the whole ocean, from birth through love to death and beyond. When you come to worship, you place all the rest of your life in loving embrace of love, capital L. When you come to worship, you are reminded that you are a child of God, no matter what else or other your boss, co-workers, neighbors, family, friends, or roommates have said or intimated. When you come to worship, you enter the space of grace. People have such ragged reasons for skipping worship. Make it your plan as you walk along to find a church family to love and a church home to enjoy and a church service to attend at least one hour a week. In prayer, at least now, at least here, at least here, at least now. And yet sometimes worship goes wrong. When it does for you, say so to whomever. And if it does so regularly or spectacularly, go elsewhere, pronto. Life is short. We need not make excuses for prizing our time. Speaking of time, St. Teresa of Avila was born March 28, 1515 and died at age 67 on October 4, 1582. She was one of the greatest women in Christian history and one of the greatest mystics and teachers in the Roman Catholic tradition. It may be that her most lasting influence came with her call to Juan de Yepes, or our Saint John of the Cross, to join her in the work of renewal within the Carmelite order. She worked with the women, he worked with the men, and you will remember him from last year's Lenten sermon series, We Hope. That is, we listen today, especially and appropriately, to an international woman's voice and devote this month of March to her, her voice, even as we embedded our preaching and worship in the last month or so to Hughes' tones and voices like those of James Weldon Johnson and of Elijah's Sweet Chariot and of Abraham Lincoln and of remarkable organ postludes for the season and most powerfully of Howard Thurman and Martin Luther King. Teresa's mother died in 1529 Although her father opposed it, Teresa joined the Carmelite convent in Avila, a lovely Castilian town, in 1535. 
She promptly fell ill, nearly dying, but recovered slowly. On recovery, she gave up daily prayer for the next 15 years. Then she went through a religious awakening in 1555. The nature of this awakening is not fully understood, but stands at the heart of her future life and work. We shall want this Lent to think about awakening or awakenings, about prayer as awakening, and particularly about that which impelled the Madure ministry of Santa Teresa of Avila. Her reform called on the Carmelites to return to their origins in austerity, simplicity, poverty, and prayer, especially prayer. Their vocation, she repeated, was one of reparation for the sins of the world. They refused all regular support, depending only on daily and weekly alms, to emphasize the centrality of poverty in the life and work of the order. Over the rest of her life, she established 16 convents throughout Spain. In 1575, a major dispute emerged in Seville, which again you may remember from last Lent in the work of St. John of the Cross, we hope. The argument pitted the discalced, the unshod, against the calced, the shod, the no-shoes versus the shoes. As so often in life, she could foresee the emerging conflict. She could militate against it. She could work to avoid it, but she could not stop it. As so often in life, she could foresee the emerging conflict. She could militate against it. She could work to avoid it, but she could not stop it. Don't we know about that? In the aftermath of this religious conflict, and conflict is not foreign to any religion, she was ordered home to Castile in the north and told to stop founding convents. St. John of the Cross, too, was disciplined, imprisoned, you may recall, in Toledo. It took the king's intervention to set St. Teresa back on the road. King Philip II of Spain, who knew her and held her in high esteem, solved the conflict by giving independence to the unshod, the discalced, the no-shoe crew with Teresa its head. In 1580, she took up the work again, traveling hundreds of miles. And on the way, one day, from Avila to Burgos, she fell ill and died. After her death, several of her works were published, the primary ones being two historical texts, <coughs> The Life of Mother Teresa of Jesus, the Book of the Foundations, and four spiritual ones, The Way of Perfection, The Interior Castle, Spiritual Relations, Exclamations of the Soul to God, and conceptions on the love of God. She left behind 31 poems and 458 letters. The mystical spiritual works are essays in contemplation, in prayer, in depiction of the contemplative life as an approach to God. You can hear in her titles even the emphases in the works, way, wholeness, ecstasy, conversation, love, God. The incarnational mysticism of St. Teresa is, among so many other glorious things, just utterly Spanish. We sat on Las Ramblas a couple summers ago in Barcelona. Barcelona blue, I had forgotten 
How blue the sky, how gentle the sea, how sweet the breeze, how happy the people, how young the city, how luxurious the conversation, how smooth the coffee, how clean the sand, how fine the trains, how old the culture. Barcelona looks today so very much smaller to me than it did in 1974. The view from a hotel's 26th floor and the view from 40 plus years later and the view from the other side of life, so many hurts, deaths, illnesses, betrayals, defeats, sins, and worries made it so smaller, much smaller than 40 years ago. And Jan, when she saw La Sagrada Familia for the first time said, what a mess, but what a beautiful, beautiful mess. Sitting on Las Ramblas, watching literally the whole world walk on by, rich and poor, women in burqas by the dozens, a girl with colorful clothing, skinnier 80-year-old men who drink tankards of beer in minutes, couples of every stream and color and type, Germans known by their excellent English and Americans known by their mediocre English, people with selfie sticks, 20-year-olds holding hands, jovial African kids, an occasional Texan with cowboy boots and hat, Asians wearing cowboy hats, short and long-haired Hispanic women, mothers and daughters holding hands, white men in black and black women in white, the steroid children's strollers of a new age, gay men and gay women, the world at pause, together, in conversation. Call it common prayer. Call it conversational Las Ramblas prayer. The, the Spanish talk. They give the art, beauty, craft, and joyful surprise of conversation the time it needs, the refreshments it needs, the spaces it needs, the vocabulary it needs, the cigar smoke it needs, the spirit it needs, the respect it needs. This is why one loves Spain so very much. Walk and talk. Walk as long as you can. Talk as long as you can. August in Barcelona is to be alive. The glory of God is a person in Barcelona in August. Like Boston, Barcelona is a pedestrian city. No houses, apartments, no cars, trains, no poor, taxes, and conversation, conversation, conversation. We are in conversation about prayer this Lent alongside our conversation partner, St. Teresa of Avila. Someone you know far better from our own time, Mother Teresa, took her name and gave us the prayer with which we began and with which we shall end. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. But give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. 
It was never between you and them anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. Amen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So let us heed his advice and, and pray. You are welcome to stand, remain seated, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord. God, we need you every hour. Stay nearby. Temptations lose their power when you are high, nigh. We come and we come to you with thanksgiving for giving us the strength of your power to deliver us from evil. And we pray for your presence, not just in this place at this time. We pray for your presence in our lives every day so that we can stand firm in the face of evil. We are confident in your faithfulness, for we know that when we are tempted, you are beside us to help us resist. During this season of reflection and preparation, make us self-aware of the temptations that test us and the evils we must overcome. Lead us not into the temptation of being indifferent to the plight of others. Lead us not into the temptation of being indifferent to the plight of your creation. Deliver us from the evil of apathy. Forgive us, gracious God, and fill our hearts with empathy. Holy Spirit, cloak us, clothe us in the cloak of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Help us to be self-aware of how our actions affect others and how our actions affect your world. Lead us not into the temptation of thinking that we can save ourselves through what we say or what we do. Deliver us from the evil of faithless self-reliance. Merciful God, forgive us. Stay beside us, Holy Spirit, and help us to grow in faith with the confidence and trust that our salvation is a gift through your grace. Lead us not into the temptation of shunning others because of their politics, their pronoun, how they worship, or who they are. Deliver us from the evil of hate. Faithful God, forgive us. We open ourselves to the Holy Spirit to purify our hearts 
and guide us to live the most excellent way, loving each other. As concern about the threat of the coronavirus grows, we remember you, O oh God. For you alone are our rock and our salvation. We will not be shaken. We pray for the patients, their concerned loved ones, and the healthcare community. We pray for our country's leaders and all the leaders around the world. Direct them in the way of wisdom and lead them on the path of righteousness. Lord, our help, we ask for your comfort. We pray for the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Comfort them and give them the strength to persevere. We pray for people whose lives are affected by violence and oppression. Comfort them and give them the strength to endure and forgive. We pray for the sick, the dying, and those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Comfort them, Lord, and give them the strength of your presence. We thank you for this opportunity to bring our burdens to you. Our faith in you helps us to endure whatever we encounter because we know that you are, our right, are at our right hand. We ask you to comfort us, to heal us, to deliver us, secure in knowing that if we ask, you will answer. Help us to hear and recognize your response. Give ear to our words, loving God, for we pray to you in the name of Jesus, your one and only Son, given for our salvation. Amen. And now let us pray the prayer that he taught us together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Well, beloved, be at peace and be welcome to Mars Chapel. 
Take a moment, if you will, to use the red pads which will come to you from the center aisle so that we might communicate with you in the mode you would like in the future and so that you may greet one another by name. Never fear here to ask another's name a second, third, and fourth time. We thank you all, present and radio and internet congregants, for your generous support of the Ministry of Marsh Chapel, a heart for the heart of the city, and a service in the service of the city with emphasis on voice, vocation, and volume. Among other things, your generosity supports women and men who will become the next leading generation of preachers and teachers. More than 150 have moved into ministry through Marsh Chapel in these years, discovering their call as undergraduates or studying for their work as graduate students. They are in service today around the globe and in Texas, Oklahoma, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Minnesota, Philadelphia, California, New York, Boston, and elsewhere. It brings us joy and pride and worship to think of them now serving the Lord with gladness. Your tithes and offerings support the generation of another generation in ministry. Thank you. As we enter BU Spring Break Week, please see our website for upcoming weekly opportunities for worship and ministry, including the March Women's Forum, our annual Lenten Food Drive, and soon service times for Holy Week. As the ushers wait upon us, let us offer ourselves in prayer, guided by the choir's offering, the prayers of Kierkegaard, number three.
meaning, use our charitable gifts for your purposes, for our community, so that we can continue to be a heart for the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city. Through Christ, the, ones who's, the one whose life exemplified heart and service. Amen. the sun shall warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you, the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 